Hey everybody, Michael Zune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors, and I have my friend who I've now met in person, Mr. Mark Amtower here. We were just talking about this on his podcast, now we're jumping over on our podcast. Mark and I have known each other for a while. He's been in one of my books, and someday maybe I'll be in one of his books. I think we were talking about being in another book of ours here soon. Met him online and kind of in this medium multiple times, all over LinkedIn. Never met in person to the HubZone conference last week. That was such a joy to actually co-present with you. For those that don't know you, for like the three people that are listening that don't know who you are, because everybody else does, why don't you give them the quick overview of who Mark Amtower is and kind of how you help companies? Quick overview of who I am. Amtower and Company is 38 years old now. I focus on marketing to the government. Obviously, I've been doing it for a long time. So like you guys, I've helped a lot of companies make a lot of money. Over the last decade or so, I've focused down into helping particularly small and mid-sized companies build out subject matter expert thought leadership positions in the market, help them develop and leverage content, and present themselves on the prime social platform for business, which is LinkedIn. And for our market, LinkedIn is the place where all the contractors are, all the govies are. It's the ideal place to do that. That's what I do. I write about that. I speak about that. I advise a lot of companies on that. And it's fun. It is fun. Today, we're going to be talking about thought leadership, which I thought was a perfect topic for us to talk about. We talked about branding and things like that at the conference, which kind of leads right into thought leadership. Given how prolific you have been in writing and LinkedIn and just all over social media on this, I thought it would be a great topic for us to kind of talk about what those pillars are. Because when it comes to building a brand, I think a large part of that is being a thought leader in what you do. Whether it's products or services or whatever it is, being able to share your thoughts coherently <laughs> is a challenge for a lot of folks. I talked about this on your podcast, and by the way, people should definitely go listen to that episode. There's a, a lot of different things that we cover in there. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. One of the things that I, I talked about right up front there is how you are you. The you that is on the show and the you that shows up in LinkedIn and the you that shows up at a conference, it's all the same person. And I think a lot of people have a hard time doing that. They have a hard time being their self. Maybe as one of the first content pillars, if you will, of thought leadership, how have you done it so easily to just be yourself? There's a lot of buzz about authenticity when it comes to presenting anything for you, your company, but particularly around being yourself. I have a feeling we're very similar in this. I don't have a business persona. I don't have a speaking persona. I am what I am regardless of where I am, and that has become, oddly enough, part of my brand. People will know that, you know, if you invite me to speak to your board, I'm going to say the same thing to the board that I am to the marketing people in the lunchroom. I don't have different tunes for different folks. It wasn't conscious, believe me. It just is what it is. And the only thing that's changed in that, I had a speaking coach. She actually saw me speak and told me that I needed coaching back in the early 90s because my language was often much more colorful than I realized. Every fifth, sixth word was going to be an F-bomb or something like that had to change. The change didn't change who I was. It just changed a particular part of the verbiage that spewed from my mouth. And there are people, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's probably one of the most well-known 
who you can go and interview with none of that. And then like every third word is an F in one of his videos. And he's known for just like whatever he's feeling and whatever he's saying is what you're going to get. You either like it or you don't. And he doesn't care either way. Right? right. It's not that I don't curse anymore. It's just more rare. Yeah, it's more rare. It's behind the scenes. And I say same thing here. You know, here's how I look at it. I have always thought my journey is almost more of a documentation of what I've been doing. There's a lot of knowledge in it. And I want my grandkids to be able to sit down and watch it and not have their mom go, hey, you can't hear this. I don't want them to have to edit it or be watching it. So that's kind of how I approach that. If I had kids around the house, I wouldn't be using that kind of language. And if they weren't in around the house, I'd use whatever I want. And that's probably the only difference with me is kind of that little bit of a filter. But Josh will tell you, hey, the t-shirt and shorts, that's what you get with Mike. That's just who he is and what you get. You know, you're not going to catch him in a suit or any of that kind of stuff because it's not who I am. And no, I mean, um, you wore long pants at the conference. I did. Not... I did wear big boy pants and a belt at the conference, but that's as close to dressed up as I get. It's part of the brand of people. They know there's always a ball cap involved of some sort, just the way it is. You know, you're always the man in black. You've taken over for Johnny Cash there. You're always the man in black. It's part of your brand. Your voice is part of your brand and that sort of thing. I think it's hard for people. Even if there's not a different them, the challenge of how politically correct do I need to be or how much do I need to hold back or can I be funny or people just hold back because they're not sure that social media is going to like who they are. And I think part of it is maybe they don't necessarily know if they like who they are. They're not comfortable with who they are. So that's definitely part of your brand that's shined out. What do you think, besides being authentically you, which is the thing you said, what do you think is like the next big pillar in building like a thought leadership platform? If you're struggling with your government contracting business, I want to encourage you today to go sign up for a free coaching session with me. You can go in the description of this podcast. There's a link to my calendar and you can go pick a time where we can sit down for 30 minutes, talk about what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, what you should change. And then if coaching makes sense for you, I'll actually go over the options on how you can get started with coaching so we can take your business to the next level. Now let's get back into this episode. To be an expert at anything, there's been research on this, this 10,000 hour mark. So you've got to have the experience to do this, but not everybody that puts in 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 hours is an expert at what they do. They mm. may be a drone at what they do. Mm. So you've got to be a student of what you do, and there's got to be a passion for it. You've got to like what you do. And when you share information, that passion has to be palpable. I started my company in 1985, and back then nobody was treating marketing to the government as a separate discipline anyway. So I parked my ass there. Oops, curse, sorry. You're clear here. I parked there, and I stayed 38 years later. I must be doing something right because I'm still here. But here's the thing. I started by watching what other people were doing and writing about it, especially writing about the things that were really cool or really stupid. So the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? You had a lot to write about on the stupid side. There's always <laughs> been a fair amount. But, you know, what? I started writing. I started sharing. I started getting feedback. My brain starts getting a little more mm -hmm. active in this thing. So step number one is put in the time, but love what you do. If you don't love what you do, go drive a bus. You know, what's the difference? Right. I definitely think that's a big one there. And part of what you said, people may hear and say, well, I need 10,000 hours. Document your journey to 10,000 hours. Like you don't have to wait till you've hit that mark. Why don't you start in hour one or hour 100 or hour 1,000? 
like you don't have to wait till you've put in that kind of time because I think that's a barrier for some people. They're like, well, I can't because 18 reasons. It's not you can't because of these reasons. You can't because you don't want to. That's normally the thing. I don't want to. I don't want to put myself out there, which maybe another, I don't know if it's tangential to this, but how do you deal with the people who don't respond well to your stuff? Because as a thought leader, you're going to say some stuff and not everybody's going to like it, right? There's all the fans and the groupies, (laughs) but then there's the select few of people that are often you're like, man, are you just mad at the world? Why are you constantly hating on my stuff? How have you dealt with that over the years? You've had to have had some people, whether they were publicly or private, you messaging you and going, I don't like this. Very rarely will they do it in public, but it does happen. Usually I just say, hey, let's jump on a Zoom. Let's get on a call. What is it you don't like? My public speaking is an acquired taste. Some people like it and some people don't. My writing always has a bit of an edge to it. But even when the edge is there, I'm not doing things to be mean. I'm doing things to illustrate a point. Again, good, bad, or ugly, right? I'm not mean-spirited, I hope, nor do I want to be. If I can engage them in conversation, we can at least reach a neutral ground. In my first book, Government Marketing Best Practices, I did a prospect pyramid thing. Everybody had the prospect pyramid where you had prospect, suspect, customer, and advocate. Well, I added two layers. On the bottom, I put burn victim, and that's the people we're talking Mm. about right now. And on the top of it, I put apostle, because there seems to be historical precedents that if you have enough apostles, you can do some extraordinary things. So if you talk to your burn victims closely and address their issues with you, you can turn them around. And for those that can't be turned around, you know, in the immortal words of Gungadin, screw them. Internally, we have what we call, it's not the burn victims. We have the burn notice list, like the TV show, where there's some people that like, no matter how nice you are to them, no matter how much you want to talk to them, they're like, I just don't like you. And I, well, then just stop looking at my stuff since you clearly don't, you know, you're way nicer about it than I am. Cause I give people one or two shots. I try to make a couple of comments. Hey, this is what I was trying to say. Maybe I didn't communicate it clearly. And then they just usually like rant on for another like 18 paragraphs of why I'm an idiot, you know? Okay. You're just blocked from my profile. I don't go the extra mile you do of sitting down and trying to talk to them. I'm like, I don't have time for this because this is just ridiculous that somebody is so upset in their day. They're going to find this one little thing. I will say there's some people that I run across a couple of times where, oh, this person's clearly been drinking and doing something. And that's the, hey, let's reach out and have a conversation because there's something wrong, man, that you're drinking at two o'clock in the morning, commenting on my LinkedIn stuff. Let's have a conversation. But those are rare. It's usually competitors in the market who uh, are trying to prove themselves, which is kind of weird, but a little bit of a tangent there. When I look at what you do, the ability to create content at the level you have over the years, it takes a certain amount of energy, persistence. You know, we talked on your podcast of just about being able to outlast people. What is your magic sauce, if you will, around how you're able to create as much content as you do? And it doesn't seem like you've taken six and eight month sabbaticals like some people do who only create one post or so a week. You've consistently created a volume of content in all different ways for years. What's the magic or secret sauce behind that? First of all, thank you for noticing that I do that. If you follow the market, it's kind of hard to miss me sometimes. Again, the secret sauce is loving what you do, being a student of what you do. And I carry around a moleskin pretty much anywhere I go. 
I need something to write ideas down on because I never know when they're going to occur. If I'm driving and something occurs, I make a note on the phone. And these little ideas can lead to an article. They can lead to a chapter in a book. They can lead to a book. They can lead to me asking somebody like you to be on my show. They can lead to a lot of different things, but I don't like to have an idea that comes into my head, goes out the other side, and never gets explored. So when they occur, I like to write them down and then go back at the end of the day or the end of the week and say, you know, I had these one, two, 200 ideas. Which of them are going to come to fruition? I don't think I ever run out, but here's the other thing. One of the complaints that I get is you never write anything really new and exciting, Mark. No, I'm a marketing guy. There's very little that's new. What I do is take other people's stuff, reshape it to this market, and maybe put a twist on it. In my 38 years of doing this, I've come up with maybe three totally original ways to do something. The fact that I had that many, I got to come up with one more because I'm in my fourth one each 10 years period, right? right? So I need another one. I only have two years left. You can do Um, it. I have have faith. Thank you. But you know, it doesn't have to be new. It doesn't have to be exciting. You're putting your twist on it. Go back to that authenticity thing. If you are passionate about it, you're going to find people that like it. And some people are going to say, well, you know, you've written about relationships 232 times, Mark. How important are they? Well, you know, how important are relationships? Get a grip. Right. I think most people are often trying to write their ninth symphony. That's always what they're trying to do. And I'm like, but there were eight before that. How many before that, that really sucked, you know, that didn't even make the cut. Right. And so for me, I have a very similar process to you. It's just about capturing the ideas because I've tried the approach where you're like, I'm going to create a content calendar. This is what I'm going to write about and this type of thing. And for me, where I've really settled over the last even just couple of months is having certain prompts like what's up Wednesday. And my what's up Wednesday is I'm going to talk about what's up, what's going on. I changed my mind three times before I recorded that video this morning because I was like, no, this is really what I want to talk about this morning. But I had a prompt to do it. And then I'm just capturing ideas all the time. Some of those ideas are good and some of them aren't. And then some of them you're like, I really want to record it. You sit down and record it and you're like, I don't like anything about this. I'm just going to delete it and I'll move that topic to the right and maybe I'll do it again. Maybe I won't. I think a lot of people think you have to have a lot of structure around this. Like you have to know I'm going to talk about this for the next six months or year or whatever. I'm like, hey, I'm done talking about relationships right now. I want to talk about sales. I want to talk about whatever. And it's like what I want to talk about. Like I said, I'm very unique. You're very unique. So being able to put our spin on it, it doesn't have to be brand new. I mean, I I probably don't have more than two or three unique mic ideas out there. It's just my spin on an old thing that seems to work for me. What do you think, in your opinion, is the most difficult? difficult part of running like a thought leadership platform. We just touched on it, really. Two aspects, generating the content and then picking the format for the content. You do a lot of video and the one that you did the morning after we spoke, I thought was absolutely cool because it's you walking from your room to the conference part of the complex that we were at. And that can be a long walk. So it was like a seven minute walk with Mike and you were doing stream of consciousness. You said, hey, to the uh, workers in the cafeteria, which was cool. So many different things, but the whole content thing, finding the venues where you're comfortable developing and sharing content. And that doesn't have to be just writing or videos. Speaking is a big part of that. So finding venues to speak, 
and then extrapolate that. I have a group that I'm a co-leader of. It's called Ideation, technically part of Government Marketing University, but it's a bunch of marketing people to get together for 30 minutes twice a week. We get together and bounce ideas off each other. Mm. I get ideas out of that group. I share my ideas with that group to validate, am I going in the right direction? If you're not networking with peers, you're going to live in this bubble that is Mark or Mike, and there's not a lot of outside input. So that perpetual education, then getting to a point where you have 15, 20, 30 people where you can share ideas with and take that broader. One of the things that we discussed on my show earlier was the various associations out there and how to get involved. If you're not involved in your community, how the hell do you expect to build a thought leadership position? How do you expect to understand the issues confronting that community? And thought leadership is not a lifetime gig. It's an earned position every damn day. Mm, I like that a lot. One of the things I always tell people is you're not a thought leader if you're not sharing thoughts. You actually have to be sharing your thoughts. Otherwise, you're just a thought thinker, right? You're thinking it, but you're not sharing it. Like you've got to get out there. It doesn't matter what platform or how you do it. One of the things I like about the TikTok platform is how many thought leaders, I guess it's creating in a space that people didn't think was possible. And One of the reasons that I see that in there, and I don't know how much you use the platform, is they have this ability to like stitch a video where you can grab like 10 seconds of a video or however much you want and then be like, so there's you talking about your thing. And then I jump in and say, okay, so Mark's talking about this and I totally love this or I totally think it's crap. And then you can put your spin on it for the rest of your video. And there are people that only do that. And that's where they started. And they took a really popular video that people were like, oh, this is amazing. And go, well, let me tell you why it's not. The polarizing aspect of it is really big deal for a lot of folks. Just being able to get in there and say, this content spoke to me. It stirred something positive or negative, And I'm going to share that. You talked about that of just writing about other people's stuff and sharing it. You talked about the awards. I don't remember what the award was, but you were talking about how you went and congratulated all of the people who had won that award recently. Oh, the Markham. Yeah. And how... That was content that you were generating from somebody else's stuff. So people could listen to our podcast and they could write a blog post about it or whatever, which please do, especially if it's nice, please do. And they could write content about this or other blogs. You know, I listen to a handful of podcasts out there. None of them are government contracting. Love Alex Hermosi and what he's doing over there with acquisition.com. Some mind boggling stuff that those guys are doing. It's a great podcast. I can learn more from Alex in five minutes than I will from some people in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast and sometimes I'll listen to all three hours and I'll get ideas. You know, I listen to some comedians. Dana Carvey has a really good one. I listen to his podcast a little bit. There's a great episode with Chevy Chase on it a while back. And man, I was getting all kind of ideas just listening to them tell the stories of old Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. So the inspiration for me just comes from everything and everywhere. I've really had to just be more comfortable about just sharing the experiences. That's my spin on the content side of it. I've gotten so many ideas once I opened up to that. What is, if you were to give a cautionary tale or the advice to Mark, maybe before you started this journey, like what's the one thing you'd be like, man, if you knew this 38 years ago, it would just serve you so much better. What's that one piece of advice you wish you could have given yourself 38 years ago? Ooh, you know, when I first started writing stuff, I always know that I'm writing exactly what I want to say. So I didn't edit it. 
I didn't have somebody else look at it for clarity. So I don't know if this is the main piece of advice, but if you start generating content, have a second set of eyes look at it, not yourself. If you don't have a second mm. set of eyes and you're writing it, read it out loud. Make sure it sounds like you want it to convey. I can be fairly obtuse on occasion. I've gotten much, much better at it because I've been doing it for so long, but I never put stuff out unless I either read it out loud or have a second second set of eyes go over it. You can come across as not the brightest person in the room pretty easily. I want to mention one other thing. We were talking about the visibility side. You can generate thoughts. You can be a subject matter expert and be the brightest damn person in the world. But if you're living in your mother's basement with Dr. Pepper and Cheez-Its and not generating content, what's the point? There's not going to be a Jeopardy category on that dude. And even if there is, you ain't on Jeopardy. That's right. I'm more of a Diet Coke and Cheetos fan, but I see where you're going with I can with go that. with the Cheetos, yeah. <laughs> For those that don't know more about what you do, I think it'd be a disservice if we got out of here without you plugging a little bit more about how you help companies, who you typically help, and that sort of thing. So give me the two or three minute infomercial on the Mark M. Tower services for folks. I like to work with small and medium-sized companies and help them differentiate themselves. If you're an IT company, where are you making your money, really? You and I have talked about this several times. So niche it down. Let's figure out where you bring the most value to the market, where you bring in the most revenue for your company. And that intersection is what we're going to highlight as your main differentiator. From there, we start developing content that gives you credibility in that space. The two biggest issues for companies bidding in our market are contracting officer doesn't know us and we have no credibility. Well, these things are not the contracting officer's problem. It's your problem. I can help you solve that problem by differentiating, by starting to share content and helping you leverage LinkedIn to build a targeted network, not an everybody in government network, but a targeted network of the primes, subs, and govies that need to know who you are and what you do. That's my focus over the last several years. It's important and I love doing it. You mentioned it's important. I 100% agree. Do you have a couple of examples for the skeptics out there? Because I know there are a ton of people that are like, eh, you know, building the thought leadership platform, posting on LinkedIn. I think it might be a waste of time. And I, I don't know what the metrics look on that. Can you give an example or two of how that has helped a company get to that next level and some contracts? It depends on what the company does and who the company is serving. Without naming the company, there are a lot of firms involved in cyber, particularly in the zero trust arena. This particular company has a commercial side and a government side. Public sector side is not the major breadwinner of the company, but it's been growing much faster than the commercial side. So they set up a public sector page for their company. The person I work with generates content really several times a week, put out on that platform. We got their public sector team to start sharing that broadly, and they ramp up the followers. And this is a sub page of their company page on LinkedIn. They ramped that to over 2,500 followers in a relatively short period of time. They had their first public sector summit earlier this year, and they exceeded the expectations, the attendance expectations, by a factor of three. 
they were not unknown. They were relatively known, but not necessarily in the public sector. Mm. So they built a team, they get the team to share that And for smaller companies, it's doable too. So let's just take a company that has 15 employees. Number one, your profiles are advertising vehicles. People look at your profile. If you're not positioning yourself and your company the right way, you have little or no credibility right away. So you build a good profile. You start sharing information through that profile. If you have only 15 people in your company, but they're each sharing the information that you've generated, you've created, and they're sharing it with their networks, there's going to be a certain amount of overlap, but all of a sudden you have exponential reach into Mm -hmm. your market niche. That's what builds credibility. That's what builds visibility. That's what makes the contracting officer go, oh, yeah, I do know this company. Maybe I'll review this proposal earlier in the stack rather than put it on the bottom because that's what they do. You've said it a million times. People buy from people that they know. So the contracting officers, if they get 500 proposals, they're going to prioritize them by the companies they know and trust first. 100% agree. I think it's a great way to kind of close out the show today. I really appreciate not only you being on the show, but just your friendship, knowing that I could reach out. You can reach out anytime if we've got questions or need each other for anything. I really appreciate that. And I don't say this lightly. You know, there's a lot of people in this market that I wouldn't refer business to. If anybody's listening and wants to know Mike's take on working with Mark, it's a hundred percent all in. You know, I, I love working with Mark. I don't mind if you are obtuse from time to time. I'd rather enjoy it. It's a lot of fun hanging out and chatting and just being friends. Thanks for coming on today. I look forward to another episode sometime. I appreciate you too, brother. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Yeah.